It's a beautiful day and a fine time for healing. Podcast host Randy Fine, a narcissistic abuse expert and the author of the groundbreaking book Close Encounters of the Worst Kind and the captivating memoir Cliff Edge Road, invites you into her sanctuary, a place where your physical, emotional, and spiritual well-being are all that matter. So put your feet up, relax, and enjoy today's show. And now, here's Randy. Good morning. Thank you for tuning in to listen to A Fine Time for Healing. I am your show host, Randy Fine. You know, in 2021, more attention has been brought to mental health than ever before. Yet, even with increased access to medication and help, the issue of depression is getting worse, not better. Depression isn't just in your head. It's not only in your body either. That's why healing often doesn't happen until both are addressed fully. While many of us go to great lengths for our physical health, we often ignore how much our emotional well-being affects us because it's hard to see how negative emotions are affecting you and impacting your entire life. We often miss addressing this piece as a key to our healing, but there's hope. Enter today's guest, Amy Sher, an expert in mind, body healing, and author of the forthcoming book, How to Heal Yourself from Depression When No One Else Can. A self-guided dop feeling like, shh, <laughs> so that's S-H blank T. Okay. Amy B. Share is the best-selling author of three other books about humaning and healing. As an energy therapist, she helps people release emotional baggage to become their happiest, healthiest self. Her work has been translated into 13 languages and has appeared in CNN, CBS, Washington Post, Cosmopolitan, The Rumpus, Los Angeles Review of Books, and so much more. Amy lives in New York City with her beautiful wife and bad cat. Most importantly, she lives by her self-created motto. When life kicks your ass, kick back. And she can be found online at amybsher.com and youtube.com slash amybsher. Good morning, Amy, and welcome. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. You are so welcome. Um, thank you. It's my pleasure. So writing a book like this, obviously, uh, you have a background in this in depression. Can, would you like to share with us your a little bit about your background that caused you to want to write this book? Sure. So this is actually the third in a series um, of How to Heal Yourself books that I've written. And I felt like it was time to talk about depression in a new way. So I am somebody who went through many chronic health challenges in my 20s um, and into my early 30s and thankfully recovered from them by using emotional healing and helping my body to release emotional baggage that was actually affecting my physical body. And now science has really caught up to what ancient healers have, have suspected for a long time, which is that our thoughts, emotions, and beliefs do affect our physical body, and stress does affect our physical body. And so my healing process in healing from chronic Lyme disease, autoimmune diseases, and chronic fatigue syndrome 
and I think I have a few other a few others on the list that I don't need to name. Um, but basically, I had a long list of chronic health issues, and really addressing the me that was at the core of all those issues made a huge difference. And I spent many years being well, and and teaching and writing books. And it was a few years ago that I realized that I was having some symptoms of depression. And it took me a long time to recognize what I was feeling because depression is often talked about in such drastic terms or often talked about really lightly, like I'm depressed, I feel depressed, even about, you know, your favorite restaurant not being open or the other end of the spectrum, which is clinical depression. And I believe that depression happens on a spectrum and that depression happens when we as human beings are depressed, literally depressed or suppressed, not living the life that we want to, not being able to express ourselves. And it was from this angle that I started working with clients who were feeling depressed and started working on some of my own issues around feeling depressed and made these huge strides using energy therapy and emotional healing in terms of coming out of that. And especially with clients where nothing else had worked, you know, and I'm a total advocate and supporter of medications and therapies and all the things that help support our mental health. But many of my clients and students still weren't feeling any better, even while using those supportive methods. And that's what inspired me to write the third in the How to Heal Yourself series, which is about depression. Whether you feel just a little bit blah or really can't get out of bed, I've provided a lot of insight and tools onto how to help shift that. Okay. Wow. That's great. Yes. This is a big problem. And for a a variety of reasons, what exactly is an energy therapist? So an energy therapist is essentially somebody who helps people really stuck energy from their body or rebalance their energy system. You may understand energy therapy, you know, using a different term, but essentially, um, acupuncturists and Chinese medicine doctors, Ayurvedic practitioners, they're all working with the subtle energy system. And what happens is long before we feel emotional or physical symptoms, imbalances in our subtle energy system, which we all have, can be detected. People usually recognize that we have energy in some way because this is what's read on an EEG or an EKG to read the energy or the waves of the heart or the brain. But subtle energy is a little bit different, and subtle energy is energy that flows through the organs, muscles, and glands that are part of a system that keeps us balanced in terms of physical and emotional health. And so what anybody is doing when they're a practitioner of any kind of energy therapy or energy healing, it's helping to release blockages in the energy system that might be creating imbalance in certain organs, muscles, glands, maybe even the brain, the emotional center, and rebalancing that energy flow so that the person can feel good again. So when energy is disrupted in certain parts of the body, like we we kind of already know this from, you know, if energy is disrupted or an energy flow is disrupted in the stomach, you may get stomach aches or constipation or the opposite or whatever. But energy, your energy system actually 
is integrated with your entire physical body. So an energy therapist of any sort actually helps release the blockages and rebalance your energy flow for your greatest health. Now, I don't work like an acupuncturist would or an Ayurvedic practitioner. I teach my clients and students how to do this for themselves. So I am not a quote-unquote healer in any, in any way, shape, or form, but I teach healing tools so that people can use them themselves, which is really important for so many conditions because it's tough when we just rely on our once per week appointment with a practitioner. It doesn't usually get us very far. True, true. I had chronic fatigue and fibromyalgia for many, many years and I used acupuncture and it got me, it got me through. I mean, it really, really made a difference in me. And I would notice whenever I had like a pain somewhere I began to understand that's a blockage and that it could be released yeah. through acupuncture. So I get this, but I think it's incredible. I, I think it's um, a great, great science. You say in your book, while I'll never ask you to like where you are, I cannot stress enough that it's essential for you to stop hating it. <laughs> um, yes. I, I like that. I like that because I'm someone who believes that we need to let go of resistance. So what did you mean when you said that? That's exactly what I meant, which is <laughs> that, that we as human beings waste so much energy resisting what is. And I think you and I are both probably on the same page here, but the, doing work to help yourself move into a better place is important. It's great. We should all do it. If you're unhappy, you should look at the patterns that are creating that in any way, shape, or form and help yourself. However, being where you are in the moment is reality. It's a fact. You are where you are. And wasting your energy constantly fighting what is in this moment, that doesn't mean that tomorrow can't look different or even an hour from now, but where you are in this moment is where you are. And hating it and resisting it and wishing you weren't there, in my opinion, only wastes valuable healing energy. And I am not judging anybody who does this because the only reason I know this is because I've done it myself. When I was in chronic pain for so long, I spent a lot of time resisting the pain, hating that I was still sick day after day. Nothing was working. I was so mad. I wanted to be here, there, or the other place, but never, you know, never where I really was. And I was mad at, you know, everything that didn't work. And then everybody who was getting better that wasn't me and all of this kind of stuff. And it really only drained my energy further. There is something There is something extremely healing about relaxing into where you are in the moment. And what I say in my book is true. You don't need to like it. I'm not telling you to embrace it in a way that you find, you know, you know, meaning in your pain or anything like that. I don't want to dismiss what it feels like to be depressed, anxious, sick, any of those things. But if you can release the resistance to hating it and kind of be casual about it. Like I am where I am for right now. There may be nothing I can do about it. And it's okay if I am where I am. That kind of approach can be hugely beneficial to healing because it frees up the energy that your body needs to heal. That makes so much sense. It really does. That's why it's so hard to do because it's so simple, right? (laughs) Yes. That's, that's so true. All in all, aspects of healing the simple way is always the best but we've we complicate things we're human beings 
what are some of the yeah. ways that depression might show up that we may not realize we're depressed? So depression can show up in just feeling kind of blah or moody or sad. It can also, like we've talked about, um, come up in sort of unexplained physical symptoms like fatigue, body aches. A lot of times I see it with digestive issues. And interestingly enough, studies show that the majority of people who are um, diagnosed with depression come in first to their doctor for physical symptoms or feeling tired, achy, those types of things. So that's an interesting thing to look at. It doesn't mean if you have physical symptoms, you're depressed, but it's something to look at. Um, Sensitivity around others, like just feeling very, very raw to everybody else's opinions and thoughts and everything else, especially flying around right now. Um, Not caring about things is another one. Just being kind of indifferent to life can be a sign of feeling depressed. And again, we're not talking about clinical depression. That's for a doctor to diagnose, but I'm just trying to share some of the ways that I see depression on the other end of the spectrum. Um, And and also not feeling anything at all is, is one. So feeling sort of blah or yucky or but not feeling anything um, and not being able to see any positive in anything. That can be a sign of depression where there's no silver lining. There's never any bright side. It's just so you feel so in the depths of, of that, that draining energy that you can't see anything good anywhere. Those are some signs that I see, um, see often. Mm, Okay. You talked about, um, energetic sensitivity and I really wanted to go there because many of my listeners are empaths and so empaths struggle with absorbing the energies around them. Um, So how do we distinguish being sensitive from being depressed? So I actually think that a lot of people who are empaths tend toward depression because they're picking up on what's around them, right? So I always tell my clients, like, we don't have enough of our own problems. We now feel everybody else's (laughs) sadness, anxiety, depression. But that is a fact for empaths. And we probably have a lot of people on this call giggling to themselves or maybe maybe smacking their head instead. Um, The interesting thing I learned, because I am very empathic and was always very sensitive to the energy of others, is that, that being an empath is very closely linked into your own personal boundaries. So I went through a lot of my life and a lot of my illness experience which lasted basically a decade, feeling raw to the world and feeling like I took on everybody else's stuff and I had no choice because I was an empath. And at some point, what I learned is that, yes, energetic sensitivity and is absolutely real and it can be a huge challenge. But there's something we can do besides just protecting our energy to help us, and that is having good boundaries for ourselves. Our energy system, in many ways, learns from, the, learns from us as a model what we, what we model for it. And most empaths will tell you that they don't have good boundaries. And it works both ways. A lot of times people are empathic because they don't have good boundaries or they don't have good boundaries and they're, and, and they're empathic um, or vice versa. So it's really important to look at your life and not just go through saying, I'm an empath, I take on everything, but are you actually doing everything you can to draw boundaries in your own life? And when I looked at myself, I wasn't. I was saying I'm empathic, everything affects me, you know, blah, blah, blah. But I was also never saying no when I could. I was actually never taking any action to have any boundaries at all. 
And when I made that shift, when I started being responsible for my own boundaries, I won't say I was less empathic, but I did did shift into a much better place. So we have to be good role models for our energy system and our body. And if we let everything in, if we say yes to everybody, if we take on everybody else's stuff, if we're these, you know, masterful fixers like we can be, we can be very good at fixing, um, our energy system follows follows right right in that path. And so I think for me the lesson was, and I teach about this in the book and how to do it through energy work, is to learn to have better boundaries. And in the book I even give the specific language for saying no because at, at some point I realized, oh, my gosh, empaths don't even know how to say no. Like You're right. people would say, but what – people would say – but what do you say? You know, if I want to tell my sister or my mom or my boss, no, like, what do you say? And I thought, oh, my gosh, this is the problem. This, it's not mm-hmm. just taking on energy. It's that we don't make the choice to keep things out. So in the book, I, I gave sample emails and sample sentences of what, what we can do to protect our boundaries. <laughs> That's great. You have a three-step approach to um, to dealing with depression. Can you explain that to us? Elaborate on that a little sure. bit. Sure. So basically, the three-step approach is there are three things that I work on with clients and students and through my books, which are clearing harmful beliefs, dealing with your feelings, and healing trauma from the past. I feel like those three aspects of actual emotional and energetic healing make the biggest difference. So beliefs are things, and this is a common one for people who feel depressed, is I don't matter, or what's the point, I'm always last. That kind of energy around I'm last, I don't matter, I'm, some, I'm unlovable, I'm deser- undeserving of happiness. Those things are beliefs. Those are not facts. And one of the big pieces of, of shifting depression is getting to a place where you truly do believe that you matter because from there, and that you're lovable and that you're deserving of happiness and health, from there it's so much easier to make good decisions for yourself and just to feel better. Imagine the difference of going around every day, I don't matter, I don't matter, to I do matter. And that energy shift alone can make a huge difference in mood and biology as well and how your body functions. The second one is dealing with your feelings. I don't know when this became so hard or if it's always been so hard for humans, but feeling how we feel. So many people who are depressed or are on any spectrum of feeling, you know, yucky, blah, or blue, don't deal with their feelings. And when our feelings pile up, they bury us. We get buried under those feelings and those stresses in life that come from not dealing with our feelings. So, so I teach people, and this is, again, something people don't know how to do. They say, like, how do you do that? So I teach them techniques about how to deal with your feelings in a way that they're released from the body, that they move out of the body, which is really, really important because stuck feelings are what contribute along with a couple other things, but one of the major things that contribute to depression. So dealing with your feelings, that just means admitting you're mad when you're mad, letting yourself feel sad for a few minutes when you're sad, not talking yourself out of how you really feel, and helping your body through techniques to move that energy out so that if you're mad about something tomorrow, you don't find out that 10 years down the line, you're still holding on to it. 
And the, and, the, and the next thing that I work with people on is healing trauma from the past. So trauma can come in any form. It can come in, you know, actual, you know, abuse, neglect. You know, there's many, many ways we think of trauma. But, tr- but people can also be traumatized by things that we would think are little. And those are the things I actually find are connected to depression more than the big things. Why? Because for the big things like abuse and neglect and, and those type of things, we tend to feel better about seeking help. And when we do, we find community or, or you know, professionals to help us get through that. But when something sort of smaller happens, like, you know, you were embarrassed in front of class and, you know, in front of your class when you were 12, those are the things we hang on to because those are the things that get stuck in our bodies and we don't deal with because we think, it's not big enough to deal with. And so clearing beliefs, dealing with feelings, and healing trauma are all ways that, that truly, truly help us move forward. Yeah, I agree with you. Yes, people do sort of suppress things that they don't think are that important, or they think, oh, I can handle that. That's, you know, I don't need to show that with anybody. I don't need to work through that. <clears throat> right, you know. or I think, I think today also in this, in this um, meme-filled world or this inspirational quote-filled world of, you know, social media, it's uh, so much of it is look on the bright side, be happy, mm-hmm. be grateful. Be, those things are important. I don't deny that those things are important. But, but in our world of social media where we're fed so many things that are, you know, sort of not healthy to think all the time, we start to feel bad when we, you know, we start to feel bad when we honor how we truly feel, you know, you know, when we are having struggling with work, but then we think, Oh, well, we're so lucky to have a job. That's great. It's great to be grateful, but being grateful and having other feelings can happen in unison. So we don't need to ignore the real feeling and try to sort of gloss over it with, but I should be so grateful that I have a job. That is true. We should all be grateful in whatever ways we can, but that doesn't mean that other feelings don't exist as well. That's very, very true. You talk about uh, micro movements, the secret sauce, and I like this because I found this to be really helpful with myself um, when I'm not feeling well. It's not always about big things. Sometimes it's about little things, like maybe just stepping outside and taking a walk, and that great advice came from your grandpa, (laughs) right? Yes. Um, yes, 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 it did. I, I so, like it. Who, of course, I realize now that I'm an adult, had much great advice. Why don't we realize that when we're kids, huh? Right, right, <laughs> um, exactly. But, but yes, this idea of micro-movements is something that I, I really teach in this book, and I go into it fairly in-depth because the mistake that I may, see many, many people make is trying to go from feeling like crap to feeling happy. And that is too far of a jump for most people, but especially if you're feeling depressed. Anybody who's listening who's ever felt depressed or sick or exhausted knows to jump up out of bed and, you know, get dressed and go out in the world and change your attitude is not easy. And so the idea of micro-movement is that we do tiny things to shift our energy because the fact is it's easier to feel better when you feel better. And it's such an oxymoron and such a, you know, such a trap because, because we do need to feel a little bit of a shift to then make the next shift and the next shift. But where people make the mistake is trying to go too far too fast. So what I talk about is simply, and what you're saying is, is 
if you can get out and go for a walk, great. But also, if all you can do is get out of bed and go in the other room, that's also great. That's a micro movement. And if you feel okay in the other room and you feel like maybe you want to go for a walk, put your shoes on and walk to the corner. Just tell yourself you're going to walk to the corner. And if you want to come home after that, fine. And if you feel a little better, because you're feeling a little better, you can walk around the block. But it's taking the smallest step to get to where you want to get without sabotaging yourself by making it too big. Yeah. I like what you said about uh, that. It, it, it's small things that can help us because you're right. When we're upset, we look at other people. We tend as humans, we tend to measure ourselves against other people. And so there's such a contrast when you feel sad or depressed and you're looking at the world, and it's happy, 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 especially Facebook. Yes, a very curated, I always say, remember social media is a curated world. <laughs> you're right, right. And so we feel like there's something so wrong with us that we have to have this severe shift. But really, it's about making small changes. And you talk about how to gauge results. What are some of the ways we can gauge results when we're doing just starting small. So some of the ways of gauging results are not, because this is, again, what I see is people saying, you know, I started this therapy two days ago and I don't feel better. And then we, or I started my medication, you know, a week ago and it's not helping or whatever it is. And we want to look for little things like, do you feel like, have you even started thinking about leaving the house, even if you haven't done it yet? Have you started thinking about it? Do you feel even a 1% improvement in how you're feeling? 1%. We're not looking for you to feel happy. Okay, I get it. You don't feel happy yet. But do you feel 1% less terrible? Is, can, can we find anything like that? It's okay if it's not there, but it's sometimes just hearing what, what an improvement looks like. Sometimes it's just about feeling slightly more hopeful. It's not that you suddenly feel happy or you feel like, oh, I want to go out and see friends or whatever it is. It's just feeling a little bit more hopeful about whatever you're doing or maybe a little bit more engaged in whatever you're doing. Those are little subtle signs of change that will add up. Those are things that you can look at and go, okay, something is shifting. And again, because we're making micro movements, it may not be that you feel happy, but did you get out of bed or did you at least change your pajamas? You know, and that's one of the things I talk about in, in the micro movement section of the book is, okay, if you can't get out of bed and be happy, that's okay. But can you just change your clothes? Like, can you just get into new pajamas or can you switch from the bed to the couch? Those really are little things, little things that I'm talking about that make a difference. And those do result in those subtle changes that many people don't always recognize. Great sense. And it does work. That really does work. Yes. Just, just a step, just taking a step. You know, I liken it to um, sometimes when you're, when you're feeling stuck and you feel like you're walking in the dark and you don't know where you're going, just take a step forward. And I each love step that a forward, little bit out of And each time. step forward that you take will get you out of the dark, but you don't necessarily have to know how you're getting out. You're just taking a step by step. Yeah, so I love that. There is a daily exercise that you have in here to help calm, fight, flight, or freeze. 
these mechanisms in the body that really can paralyze us. And you call it tap, breathe, trace. How does this work? So these are three energy therapy exercises that I put together and breathing obviously isn't an energy therapy exercise, but it is in a way because it moves energy. Um, that it's a meditative, meditative, and just sort of a life force exercise to to do some deep, slow breathing. That each of these individually help to move the body out of what we call fight, flight, or freeze, um, which is I call it the freak out, the freak out uh, mechanism in the body, which is. Your body being overwhelmed, essentially, stressed out, overwhelmed, your nervous system being freaked out. And these three exercises put together are really, really good at calming down the fight, flight, or freeze. And one of the things that happens when we go into fight, flight, or freeze or freak out mode is we get overwhelmed and we stop. We can't do anything, right? We freeze. That's the pattern that I see most often. And when you're frozen, that's what lends itself to the pattern of depression because you can't get out, right? You know all the things to do to get out. You know some things you could do at least to help yourself, just at least in the moment, but you can't do them because you're frozen. So practicing these exercises every day, even if it's only for a minute, I suggest five minutes, um, I suggest five minutes, but if you can only do it for 30 seconds or a minute, I tell people to do it anyway because it can help you shift out of fight, flight, or freeze and into the little space where you can do something to help yourself. Should I share with the audience just one part of this that would be really easy for them to remember? Yes, I was going to actually ask you if you could guide us through it. Just a simple sure. exercise. Sure, let's do it. Definitely. Okay, so let me, um, so do you want me to teach it all together? Sure. Or, okay. Okay, yeah. so what we're going to do is three, yeah. Okay, so there's three different, and I don't have a timer, so I'm not going to be able to time it, but I suggest we do the first two parts for a couple of minutes at each, and then the last part for one minute. So okay. let's go through it. The breathing part is super easy. The rest of it is also easy, but just a little bit trickier. But I'm going to teach you. Okay, so the first thing that we're going to do is we are going to tap, essentially. And we're going to tap on our temples, alternate sides. So all that is is tapping on the left side, right side, left side, right side. Okay, so you take your fingertips. And let's start by tapping left temple, right temple. Left temple, right temple, left temple, right temple, left temple. And let's just go ahead and do that for a few seconds. And just breathe gently as you do. And this helps to release stress. The temples are part of a meridian, an energy pathway that's linked to your fight, flight, or freeze. And we would normally do this for two minutes, but we'll stop in just a few more taps. And this alone, if everybody can just remember to do this, next time you're stressed out or feeling really stuck, doing just this alone can help shift you out of it. All right. The next thing that we're going to do is we're going to do two minutes of breathing. So go ahead and just close your eyes. And you're going to slowly inhale through your nose for four seconds. Then exhale for eight. And you can do it like your like purse lips, like you're whistling when you when you blow out. So go ahead and take a deep breath in. One, two, 
three, four, purse lips, and then exhale. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. And then go ahead and take another deep breath in. Two, three, four, and exhale. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And let's do a few more times. Go ahead and inhale. Two, three, four, and exhale. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Go ahead and inhale again. I'm going to stop counting. But you basically want your exhale whenever you're ready to last longer than your inhale. So just do it slowly and deliberately. We'll take a few more deep breaths like that. All right. And the next and last part we're going to do is is the tracing part. And what we're going to be doing is tracing where the triple warmer meridian, again, that is the energy pathway in the body that governs the fight, flight, or freeze response. We're going to be tracing it to pull off or release energy from it, which will help bring you out of fight, flight, or freeze. This is something that I learned from Donna Eden, who's an amazing, amazing energy um, medicine pioneer. And so I've incorporated, I've changed it slightly, but I've incorporated this into, into this three-step process. So go ahead and take your hands and place them at your temples, and you can just rest a hand on each side. And you're going to go ahead and trace with your hands staying in touch with your head around your ears, down the sides of your neck, and to your shoulders. And when you get to your shoulders, lift your hands off, switch sides that your left hand is on your right shoulder and your right hand is on your left shoulder. And you're going to pull those hands down through your elbows to your wrists and come back up to the shoulders and pull down again. So you're kind of petting, hugging yourself at the same time. You may, some people get the chills or feel something when they do that. That's really helpful for calming the body. And let's do it again. Put your hands at the sides of your head. Go around the ears, down under the earlobes, down the sides of the neck. Get to your shoulders. You can squeeze your shoulders if you want to. That feels really good. Lift your hands off. Cross them shoulder to shoulder. And then pull your arms down again in sort of a sweeping, hugging, petting motion. That's my professional description of how to, how to do that, <laughs> sweeping, hugging, petting. And then you can go ahead and shake your hands off. So those three exercises together are very, very helpful for getting you out of fight, flight, or freeze and that overwhelmed state to maybe helping you take the first step in terms of getting out of bed or changing your pajamas or whatever needs to happen to, to get you to a place where you're feeling a little bit better so you can feel a little bit better. And by the way, all of the exercises in my book can be done from bed. These aren't things that you need tools for or other people or anything. So it really my work, because it started in helping people with chronic illness like, like I had you know, experienced, are very easy to do and they don't take effort. But sometimes doing anything at all, as we know, when you don't feel good, it's hard. So, um, so this exercise can really help move you out of that. I feel definitely feel calm after doing that. That's really nice. Good. And 
good. And doing this exercise every day actually retrains your body to be calm and stay calm. So, you know, it, it's very helpful in the moment, but doing it every day would sort of retrain that fight, flight, or freeze response to sort of chill out, which we could okay. all use. Oh, definitely. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> you, uh, tapping is a big part of the exercises that you use in this book. So how does this actually, how does tapping help us? So tapping is a process of tapping on different acupoints or acupressure points or acupuncture points on, on the face and the body that help release stuck energy and rebalance the system. So in my book, I actually have three different types of tapping. I used to just teach emotional freedom technique, um, which is something that I actually teach in hospitals. They bring me in to teach it to their staff and to help their patients because EFT has a lot of, or emotional freedom technique has a lot of scientific data behind it, a lot of um, studies and they use it in veterans programs for PTSD. It's amazing. Um, but because people like to have choices and I want everybody to do whatever they can, I also teach two different kinds of tapping, alternate temple tapping, which you already did, and chakra tapping, which uses different points on the body to access the, another part of the energy system. But all tapping works the same, which is tapping on certain places in the body that are linked to energy centers. And when you tap on those places, it helps to release energy blockages from those areas. Similar like what happens in acupuncture, they're putting the needles in very specific places that sort of release the stuck energy so that you can regain your proper energy flow. But tapping is just a way to do it with the fingertips. And it's a way to do it without knowing where to put what. So acupuncture Acupuncturists often, obviously, spend much, you know, you know, time studying and in school, and it's not easy to be a Chinese medicine doctor. But this tapping is a way that you can get some of that benefit by yourself without knowing where to tap. So there's a series of points that everyone taps, no matter what their what their challenge is, and it helps to release stuck energy from all kinds of different places in the body, so that that the flow can come back and the symptoms can start to shift. What is the difference between this general pattern of tapping and some of the actual specific, more specific types of tapping, more sent, uh, direct? I don't know. What, what is the word I'm looking for? Because there's, you mean... different types, there's different types of tapping. I mean, there's different yes. ways to tap. Okay, so yes. can you explain yes. what that is? So yeah, so different types of tapping are, are sometimes just um, just addressing different parts of, parts of the energy system. So EFT, which is probably the most popular or well-known type of tapping, um, this is the one that I teach at hospitals, basically uses meridian, your meridian points or your meridian um, pathways. That's a certain part of your energy system. Um, chakra tapping addresses chakras. So Stuck energy can be held in different parts of these sort of subsystems that the energy has, and different tapping affects different parts. But what I say in the book and what I always tell people is your energy system and the subsystems, the different parts of your energy system, are all interrelated. So I find that if you can work on one part, the other parts usually clear as well. So I'm not so worried. I'd rather people find the, that's why I teach three types of tapping in the book. I'd rather pe 
people find the type of tapping that they like to do, that they feel comfortable doing, that feels good to them. Because I know if they're addressing one part of the energy system, they're addressing other parts as well. So it's not as important to, you know, I don't want people having to use five different types of tapping. You can use one and, and really, really help yourself. Well, that makes it simple. Yes, we've got to keep it simple. That's the that's the other thing is as soon as it starts getting too complicated, we can't do it because it's too hard, right? We have enough going on. So everything is simple. And I think my readers always benefit from from my own personal level of impatience because when I was healing from chronic illness, I created several of my own techniques because things weren't simple. The types of things that I was trying to learn were so overwhelming and complicated that I couldn't do them on my own or I just wasn't in a place to. And so when I set out to sort of heal myself and ended up creating my own system in, you know, through that journey, I, my focus was on keeping things simple because if you don't, if nobody uses anything, including myself, because it's not simple, it definitely won't work. So everything I teach is simple and everything has an alternative if you don't like what I've proposed, which I think is is part of why my approach has been so successful for so many people is because anybody can do it and you can modify it. There's not any big rules. And I just try to make it easy because that's when we use things. I agree. And people who have been hurting, people who have had trauma in their life, they've done so much work on themselves up until this yes. point, trying to fix themselves. But I believe healing should be gentle, as gentle yes. and easy as possible, right? I agree, and I think a lot of healing comes from those simple sort of practices that that people don't actually look at because when you're so sick or so depressed, it feels like, it's so big, but I th- and, and you might go toward more complex systems or really long-range therapies or whatever it may be or long-term therapies, but I think what the body craves is coming back to, um, coming back to some of the natural things like breathing, like working with the energy system, like, um, you know, I'm not a huge essential oil person in terms of knowing that much about it, but I know a lot of my clients feel like essential oils help them, but that's just another way to move energy. But some of these simple things, grounding, being in nature, taking, you know, an Epsom salt bath, so these things are so simple, but I think sometimes the body is is actually craving those basic foundational um principles of wellness and sometimes we we search far and wide but we forget things like nutrition and nature and and the more simple things as well right definitely agree with that there's um in the chapter that you talk about what beliefs are there's something really interesting that i wanted to share with the listeners because this relates so directly to the work that I do with narcissistic abuse, especially childhood narcissistic abuse. And you say the dominant frequencies of the brain from birth until age seven are Delta and Theta, the same state achieved during hypnosis. These operate below the level of consciousness or awareness, which means that children up to age seven are basically living in a trance like state open to programming of 
perceptions, experiences, and more. At this age, we lack the critical thinking or filtering ability to control or make sense of what to download. This right? Is, mind-blowing, isn't it? It's, it totally is mind-blowing because, right, so much of what we're carrying as adults is, has been programmed by the yes. age of seven. That's amazing to me. Right. And I, and, I, and I always joke, and I think I do it in this book too, but I, like, I would never, I was a very mature child, but I would never want my seven-year-old, oh, seven-year-old self running my life. Yet so many of us are going around still operating with the same programming we got before the age of seven, like, and then wondering why our life isn't working or why we're unhappy or why whatever. And um, yes, it's mind-blowing that that's how our brains work, but they do need to be... I call it updating mental records. Our mental records need to be updated from age seven or we're going to be in big trouble trying to live an adult life, you know, using seven-year-old perspectives. That's just so amazing to me. I love it. I'm going to uh, download that in my information because that's something I can share. Thank you for that. What are some types of of beliefs that uh, affect us in different ways that can contribute to depression and they the block, beliefs that block us. So there are two different types of beliefs, basically. Beliefs that contribute to depression and beliefs that block you from healing. And they're slightly different, but beliefs that contribute to depression are things that sort of um, – Uh, beliefs sort of like the world is dangerous or I'm worthless, things that that depress your true nature of happiness or joy or self-expression, things that I could call these spirit squashers. So things that sort of Mm -hmm. beliefs that squash your spirit. I'm worthless. The world is dangerous. Um, I'm powerless. Like everything happens to me. I have no control. So, so there's, so basically beliefs that sort of, contribute to depression or cause depression, and then separately beliefs that prevent you from getting over it. So when I work with clients, a lot of times it's like they've cleared the, they've done the work and cleared the beliefs that started the problem in the first place, but our mental state, our energy system, so much of our lives are patterns, and when we get stuck in a pattern, our body just keeps doing that thing, even if it doesn't make sense. So... um, the major belief that can block you or prevent you from healing is is really feeling undeserving of healing. That's a really big one or feeling like you can't heal, like it's not possible because once you felt bad for so long, that's a common one I see in people. They just don't feel like they can feel better, right? Like, well, well I've been like this for 10 years or um, that kind of thing. So those are the two types of beliefs that the book covers in terms of working on. And it walks you through exactly how to do it. You just have to follow along. Um, And I always tell people, you don't even need to know, is it, did it cause it? Is it blocking me from healing? Like, it doesn't even matter. It's just really trying to clear all that pre-seven-year-old stuff that you can to, to see life in a different way. Thank you for that. So validating. That's wonderful. There are, you say, you won't know what you need to let go of unless you learn to identify how you really feel. And there are big, the big three emotions. What are they? They're anger, grief, and fear. Those are the three things that I see most linked 
to most of my clients. And, and anger is one of those that many, many women don't identify with as much as men, but anger is a really, really sneaky emotion because it often comes out sideways. I don't know anybody listening can relate to this, but when I used to feel angry, I would cry. And instead of being mad, because I never was mad. Um, and at some point I realized that I was really pissed off, but it was always coming out sideways and I didn't deal with anger and I didn't know how to be angry. And so anger often gets sort of hidden and not dealt with because it doesn't always look like what we think anger looks like. Um, the next one is grief. And grief is essentially grieving. And it's not only over a loss. A lot of times we are grieving over our unmet needs and desires. We are grieving for lives that we don't have, that we wished we did. We are grieving for um, for ourselves, really. And that's how I see, you know, most people are aware when they're grieving for the loss of a loved one or a job or, you know, whatever. But there are so many things that we hold grief about that we don't realize. And, and the main one is just grief for ourselves, grief, um, grief for our unmet sort of needs and desires. And that's a, a really big one. Um, and the last one is fear. And I don't see it come up in so much the way of I'm afraid of bridges. I'm afraid of small spaces. Things like that I don't find contribute to depression. What I find the type of fear that contributes to depression is fear of being who you really are, fear of expressing your true self. And that is a fear that many, many people have. And that fear leads to suppressing or depressing who you really are. And that this book covers how to deal with that because that is one of the biggest parts of depression is just the, the, the depression of your true self and fear plays a big part in that. I knew you were going to say that when you talked about fear. Mm. I find I find that people need to be told that they can be who they are. So many people. Yes. I, and when I tell people, you just you're okay the way you are. You just need to be who you are as long as what you're doing is not hurting anybody. You can be yourself, express yourself any old way. And people go, really? Really? That's amazing to me that we are so out of touch with the acceptance of who we are. Why do you think that is? Do you have a feeling about that? Yeah. I think this does come back to that programming, too. Like, think about when we're children. Like, we are sort of programmed to be people pleasers because – that's how we stay safe and not just physically safe. And probably in your work that, that, you know, the safety aspect really comes in, you know, but, but we want to please the people around us because they're who they are, who feed us, take care of us, uh, hold us, give us the stuff that we want, you know, that we're people pleasers when we're little because we have to be like, we can't just say, no, we don't like that or no, we don't want to. That's usually not embraced. Even, I mean, even if it, if it is with your parents, it's probably not at school. And so we do learn to turn off parts of ourselves as we, you know, as children, because that's how we stay safe. That's how we get fed. That's how we get loved. You know, you're a good girl or a good boy if you 
do this favor or you, you know, you have a good attitude or you don't cry when you get your shot. Like think about all of these things. And so it really is just a programming. And that's why it's such a foreign idea to people who haven't realized it or thought of it before or told it before. Cause it's like, Oh wait, I've been told my whole life or I've been, perce- I've perceived that my whole life, you know, my safety and my lovability is dependent on if I'm the person other people want me to be. That's just the nature of growing up, unfortunately, but it comes back to updating mental records. If we don't update our mental records, what happens? We're still doing that when we're older. And when we're older, we don't depend on people as much. We don't actually need that people-pleasing mechanism that we do when we're young. And so we have to reverse that. Good explanation. You, I agree with you. You are absolutely right. Thank that's, you. That's, yeah, and that's what happens. That is really what happens. And I don't even know how to change. It's like clients get so upset, you know, when they realize all that they, all that's happened, or how do they get like this? But it's like I don't know. That happens to everybody. We just kind of have to be aware enough to shift it when we're older, right? Because there are rules right. when you're a kid, when you're a kid, and there's rules in society. I mean, we can't always be exactly who we are. I tell people, you know, I write this in the book too. Like, we have an obligation to live our lives to the fullest, to to follow our desires and our wants. And but there are rules in society, and that's okay. There are certain things that we have to follow, or that you want to follow, or whatever. But to the best of your ability, you have to be and express who you really are. Right. Thank you for clarifying that. Sure. <laughs> there's, so, there's so much in this book, but I want to skip to the end where you talk about muscle testing. And um, why, do we, why, do we, why would we muscle test when clearing our energy, when healing through energy healing? So muscle testing is at the very back of the book because it's not absolutely necessary. So if somebody thinks it's too weird or they don't want to do it, you can use the entire book without it. I used to put it in the front of my books and then so many people um, put too much, too much reliance or dependence on, uh, put too much weight into the muscle testing. But muscle testing is amazing and it is a way that we can tap into our subconscious minds to figure out what is stuck. What old traumas are stuck? What old beliefs are stuck? And I teach you how to use um, how to use your muscles to essentially test if something is true for your body or not true for your body. And it's it's I teach it a couple of different ways in case one way doesn't work for you or it's not your thing or whatever. But essentially, it's a process of asking questions while also testing very gently certain muscles in your body to see what their reactions are. And from this process that I do go into in depth in the book, we can figure out what our subconscious, what is stuck in our subconscious minds. And once we know and aren't guessing so much what's stuck, we can more efficiently clear that energy. So it might be that you can narrow down from the list of, I don't know how many beliefs I put in this book, but I gave a list that everybody could could look at so that you didn't have to come up with your own beliefs, but you could learn how to muscle test and identify which ones are true for you so that you're only clearing the ones that really apply. Now, everything in the book up until the point of muscle testing where I teach people how to identify their own specific blocks is, is based on 
trends that I've seen over the last 10 years. So I, so in other words, at this point, I kind of know what beliefs are stuck for most people. So if they never do muscle testing, you know, you can, you're good, but muscle testing is really interesting because you are the only one who knows how to figure certain things out. I can look at trends um, from, you know, thousands of clients over the years, but, but when we start to get curious about, you know, what happened to us at certain ages or how things were, you know, how we were affected by certain things and we can test to see if those are actually affecting our body negatively. It's a pretty cool process because you can get more specific than maybe you could following a generalized protocol. The muscle testing that I used to experience was when you know, I held my arm out and then the practitioner would put a substance or whatever in my left hand or whatever and and then test the muscle to see how strong it was and if it was weak yeah. that meant that I had a sensitivity but I like that in yeah. your book you you give ways of muscle testing that are very easy to do ourselves and one of them is to stand and forward means yes back means no yeah do, so this is when you do, do we, all by yourself yeah how do we do that so essentially what you do is you stand up and you kind of relax, put your toes, you know, your feet straight forward and your arms by your side and you ask certain questions and I give a list of which questions to ask. I, I always um, advise people to use extreme caution when you're using muscle testing. Don't try to use muscle testing to find out things that, you know, are you pregnant? Is this a winning lottery number? Those things never work. With muscle testing that I teach, we are just finding out what emotional energy is stuck in the body to clear it. But essentially you could ask your body a question like, um, do I, you know, have stuck energy from age 10 in my body that's negatively impacting my health? And your body will naturally either tip forward or backward depending on what the answer to that question is. Essentially what's happening here is your body is a human pendulum and it's pulling forward toward what it resonates with or the truth and it's leaning backwards or repelling against what isn't true for it. So it's a very interesting way of tapping into um, tapping into what could be contributing to depression, what energies are stuck, what emotions are stuck um, and just getting really specific because I think a lot of and and you'll probably relate to this too, but a lot of what kept me really frustrated when I didn't feel good was what is causing this? Like, you don't, it's such a guessing game when you don't feel good. Was it something I ate? Was it something that stressed me? Was it, you know, who knows? Is it some, you know, is it mold? Is it all of these different things? And so when doing emotional healing, I find that it really helps to be able to pinpoint exactly what emotions or what beliefs or what traumas from your past may be beneficial to clear. Sounds kind of fun to play around with. <laughs> it's so fun. It really is so fun. It is so fun. It's a game. I always say it's like a game where I kind of think like, and I think this in the most loving way, like what beliefs could my crazy brain be keeping now that are, you know, making me feel yucky. So it's kind of just like what's in that brain of ours. And, you know, sometimes it's like, oh, wow, that was in there. But, but knowing what stuck makes a huge difference because I see people that have gone to, you know, 
therapy for 20 years or whatever, and they're not feeling better. And it's like, well, for 20 years, they've been working on the same thing. But what if it's not even that? What if you've already worked on that? What if it's something more subtle that, like we talked about earlier, where you were embarrassed in front of class? I mean, I see that thing, that type of thing all the time where the obvious things should and do get addressed, but the less obvious things are never found. And those can be the things that make a difference between depression and feeling better or chronic illness and, and, you know, strengthening the immune system. Beautiful. And that's a perfect way to end the show. So your book is called how to heal yourself from depression when no one else can. Your website is Amy B share S H E R.com. It's S C H. Uh, that's what I meant. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. That's Thank okay. you. Amy B S C H E R dot com, right? Is that perfect. what it is? Thank you. Yes, that's perfect. Okay, great. And your book is available through Amazon. It's when is it coming out? It actually comes out on February twenty third, so it's which is my would have been my dad's birthday, so it's a special a special book launch for me. Um, but it comes out on February twenty third, but it's available for pre order now. And you know what? usually these books sneak out a little bit early. So they say February 23rd, and then people tell me they get them the week before. So very soon now. Okay. Awesome. 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 And we would order that through your website or through Amazon? No, you could Amazon, Barnes and Noble, any independent bookstore will have it. Um, So wherever books are sold, it should be. We can pre-order it? Yep. You can pre-order it now. It's ready. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you, Amy. Thank you. I know we all Thank learned you. so much today. This has been so, so really educational and fun and wonderful and all those things. So Thank you thanks. so much for having me on. It was a pleasure. Oh, you are so very welcome. Have a great day. Enjoy. Bye-bye. Bye. So we are out of time today, but if you have any comments or questions about today's show, you can email me at loveyourlife at randyfine.com. May joy and serenity always be yours. Goodbye. We hope you enjoyed today's show. Visit randyfine.com, R-A-N-D-I-F-I-N-E.com, and be sure to sign up to receive updates on the latest blog posts, events, and upcoming shows. Thank you for listening.